Welcome to Thyroid Strong Podcast. Really excited to have you here. Many people know that there's about 20 million women in the States diagnosed with Hashimoto's, but that's the only statistic thrown out there. What about the women down under in Australia? <laughs> I know. That's a very good question. And thank you, Emily, for having me on Thyroid Strong. I'm excited to be here too. I loved having you on my show. I feel like I know you have a thyroid strong program and I'm like, I feel like you sort of, you're like, you're in my world all the time. So I feel like you're my friend that I talk to or listen uh, to regularly. Yes. How many women in Australia have been diagnosed with Hashimoto's? Look, we work on the same stats, one in eight women, really. Do you find a lot of people with vitamin D deficiency down there? I just figure you guys get tons of sun. Vitamin deficiency isn't even a thing down there. You would think that we would have not much vitamin D deficiency. We're the sunny country, but we're so covered up here. Slip, oh, yeah. slop, slap. We had sun safe program. Slop on some sunscreen, slap on a hat, slip, slap. And so I think we're so, been so drilled in that we have, we're all going to get skin cancer. We're all going to die of skin cancer. So we've got to completely cover up in sunscreen. Cover up. We do have more vitamin D deficiency here than you would think. Can you share your story and kind of your journey getting diagnosed with Hashimoto's and getting on the other side of it? Yeah. So my story is, it's long. Like I think everybody's Hashimoto story is long because it's not like it just happened, springs on us one day and we're diagnosed the next. So I think everyone has a long story, but I was diagnosed when I was 22 or 23. So I'm now Young. 48. Yeah. But I believe when I look back, I believe it was probably triggered around that 12-year-old kind of puberty stage. When I look back, I can see all the markers. And really, by the time I was diagnosed, my TSH was 185. Oh, my God. I don't even know if I've heard that high of a number. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That didn't just come up overnight. Were yeah. you like so just dragging, just literally dragging yourself across the floor to do anything? That's I know it is obscene, isn't it? Because I can look back and I can look on photos too. And you can see where I started getting puffy and really gaining weight. And yeah, I can track that kind of just by looking back at photos. I think because as a teenager, by the time I was diagnosed, it must have crept up so gradually. And I was a teenager. I don't, I didn't have a, wow, I felt great in my twenties. And now in my thirties, I can't get out of bed. Like I didn't really have a, I felt great before. And now I feel exhausted. I just thought it was normal. I come from a family where you do what you say you're going to do, unless you're really literally dying, then you get up and you go to work and you go to school and you just push through and a very reliable, sensible, responsible kind of family. And so I didn't know any different. I guess I just kept, I just kept going, but I got to the point where I couldn't, I used to have long hair. If you're listening to this, I've got very short hair now, but I used to have long hair and I got to the point where I couldn't hold my arms up for long enough to wash my hair with the muscle. And I think that in the end was the, I don't think this is right. I think you're probably meant to be able to blow, wash and blow dry your hair without your arms collapsing. you were so fatigued, like the heaviness, yeah. the weight of your arms. Wow. Yeah, okay. that muscle fatigue and the yeah. muscle weakness. In the end, I was lucky that... So my mum's a nurse and she looks back and they go, oh my gosh, how did I not pick that up? But to be fair, in the end, she was the one that said, I think it might be a thyroid. So I went straight to the GP, got the thyroid test. This is back in the mid 1990s. And it, as 
I, I'm a record keeper. So I've got, I think, all of my, most of my blood tests. And so the first one, it was just still the standard TSH back then, but it came back at 185. So pretty much the next day, like I'm in at the endocrinologist, like, how are you still alive? I don't know. I guess you just thought you just had to keep going. So I was lucky in that even though I was probably in a pretty bad place, I didn't have trouble getting diagnosed. And I don't know when they first tested antibodies and called it Hashimoto's. I've always felt like I've had Hashimoto's, but I don't. Originally, I think the diagnosis was primary hypothyroidism, but I've always for a long time known I've had the autoimmune part of it too. How did you get into working with women with Hashimoto's? Yeah, well, that was, I guess that's a lot longer, further down the track of taking a long time to figure out how to manage my own health well, because so many people, I was told by the endocrinologist, it's all right, you're just going to take this pill, just pop the pill every day for your life, rest of your life, and you'll be fine. And well, obviously, I kind of know now that if that's all I'd done, maybe I'd be fine, but I certainly wouldn't be feeling great. <laughs> but I did that for a long time. While still dabbling, I've, I've worked out, I did, I did see a naturopath quite early on. I did, I remember finding out about yam cream and progesterone and taking into my GP cassettes of, do you think this would help? And to my GP's credit, so back then, like he listened to the cassettes and then the next time I went in to see him, we talked about it. And I don't remember what the outcome in terms of using the yam cream was, but I look back and I think, oh, that, he was pretty good. He was a good GP. So I think I was curious, but really just took my medication probably for a good 10 years. That's pretty much all I did. And then the last probably 10, 10 years or so is when I really have really understood the importance of diet and lifestyle and the other things that I can do to support my thyroid health aside from taking my medication. And I'm still on thyroid medication and I suspect that I probably will be forever because I think my thyroid was so fried by the time it was picked up that realistically, I probably will need thyroid medication forever. But it's, but so I suppose in all of that investigation and reading and learning and trying different things, and I'm just the sort of person that likes to share what I learned and what works. And so it was a gradual process in terms of really honing in on working with other thyroid women. I started with a food blog and blogging what I was eating and recipes that was all that paleo style food, because that's what I found really worked and still works well for me. So I started the food blog, wrote a cookbook, just weaved my way. And it's like, the reality is everything I talk about is because of my own thyroid health. I'm curious. So those first 10 years when you were only taking medication, not making lifestyle changes, I'm assuming your TSH came down. Did you yeah. notice a difference in the 10 years that you were only taking medication versus the time afterwards where you were taking medication and making changes? Because I think sometimes oh, yeah. it's hard for people to like, Oh, is this yeah. change going to work? It feels like a big commitment. Yeah. But yeah, I think for women to know, yes, you should still can yeah. take medication. There's no shame in taking medication, especially if it makes no. you feel better. And yep. you can make lifestyle changes and you could even feel better. A hundred percent. It definitely makes a difference. That would. I think what I realized when I, and I would, I dabbled for a long time, for a few years really, from when I would have first heard about going gluten free and maybe dairy free and cutting out some of those typically inflammatory foods. And it was certainly the food side, the diet side that I tackled first in terms of the broader lifestyle stuff. 
I understand when people say, does it really make that much difference? Because I had years where I'd do it for a while, then it all got too hard. And then when I finally, I can't really remember what the trigger was to make me really give it a good go. But I about it was about 10 years ago, I did a Whole30 Paleo program. I love Whole30. And it was just, I know. And so I did Whole30. I must have been doing some reading around gut health because I remember reading It Starts with Food, which was the one that started Whole30, wrote that book. And, and I was like, oh, okay, all right, this, I can see, I can understand some of why this is important. All right, I'm going to give this 30 days paleo thing a red hot go. And I was amazed by the end of it, probably not even by the end, but just into it, I'm like, oh, it's not normal to feel bloated after I eat. Oh, okay. I was that was probably the biggest thing. I was like, I think for years I just felt like I was greedy and lazy. Annabelle, you're just greedy. You must eat too much food. That's why you feel bloated every time after you eat. That's why you look six months pregnant when you're not. You're just greedy because you like your food. And I realized when I removed those gluten, grains, dairy, sugar strictly for a month that it wasn't that I was greedy. It was just that I was eating foods that were making me bloat. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting the narrative that we tell ourselves when maybe we don't have like data points. Like maybe Mm -hmm. if someone had run a, I don't know, like a GI map test and had checked your calprotectin and be like, oh, your gut lining's inflamed. And that narrative would have never happened. Mm -hmm. Bad narrative really, isn't it? Like I think for years I beat myself up about something that was completely untrue. Yeah. So you talk about how healing, and it's not like we can get rid of our Hashimoto's, but we can Mm. heal our body and feel better, Mm. even still taking medication. Can you talk about how it's never just one thing and how it has to be a holistic approach? I would preface this by saying it's taken me a long time to get to this understanding. (laughs) And I think that's because I've had to live it and you don't want to have to live it. You don't want to have to make changes to your diet and lifestyle if you don't really have to. So I totally get it if you're listening and you're like, is it really worth it? If I just do this one thing, that will be enough. And I think what I've worked out is that, yeah, of course, medication, critically important if you need it. No shame in that. Please don't ever feel like it's failure if you're taking medication. It's not. It's just if your body doesn't produce it, you need it. You need thyroid hormones for every single cell in your body. So take your meds. But I think as I started with food and that book, It Starts With Food, is a really good read. But what I've learned is that it doesn't end with food. Food is a really big part of it, right? And we eat all the time. Like we Obviously, we have to eat. So if we're eating things on a daily or really regular basis that are inflammatory, that's not going to help our autoimmunity and leaky gut. And I think that is really important. And it's often one of those areas that people well, we've got control over what we eat to a very large extent. And so we can control that. I am going to try going gluten-free and see what that does. We can do that. But it's, again, it's not the whole picture. I talk a lot about living a thyroid-friendly lifestyle. We, it has to be a lifestyle. We don't, like you said before, Emily, like whilst we can go through this thyroid healing process and we may be able to put our Hashimoto's into remission, or maybe you've got hypothyroidism without the Hashimoto's and you can bring your labs back in, but it's pretty easy to trigger it. <laughs> so we can be in remission, but I don't know. So it depends on what you, how you define healed, but we can definitely feel so much better. I think it's that it's 
because we do have to basically live with it forever, we need to take a long-term approach, a lifestyle approach. You can't just do like the whole 30 and I run 30-day programs and you can't just do it for 30 days and then just think, oh, good, done, tick, thyroid's good. I become aware of things like reducing our toxic load, how important that is just for hormones in general. But the thyroid gland is very sensitive to toxins. So just that whole removing toxins out of our personal skincare and our food and our water. And so I see that as part of that, living that kind of low tox lifestyle. And that has taken me years too of replacing different things over time and to unwind and not be too stressed, but just learn ways to unwind and work with our situation, set some boundaries and our mindset, I think. So there's the four pillars I kind of often talk about is unwinding food mindset and low-tox living. And I just think having that long-term mindset is something that I think is really helpful because it's never one thing. And because we have to live with it forever, we've got plenty of time. We've got plenty of time. And it is going to be this up and down twisted road. And once we've got our mindset around, like our expectations around, okay, this isn't all going to be resolved in a month or even three months or probably even a year. This is just going to be a journey of trial, error, working out what works. And it can be two steps forward, one step back. Like you could get your air filter and put a filter on your water system, but then like your neighbors spraying pesticides on their lawn and you're, yeah. it's, it, yeah. a lot of people think the healing is linear and it's really the ebb and flow, which is life. The ebb and flow of life is also the yeah. ebb and flow of our, our healing process. You also talk about leveraging the thyroid personality. And I feel like almost every person I know or woman I know with Hashimoto's has more of hype A, get it done burn the candle at both ends. If something is a challenge, they're just going to push harder. I found the same. And the other practitioners I speak to say they notice the same thing. And I remember a couple of years, I think it was, maybe it was when I was writing my book, but it was sometime in the last couple of years, I thought, I wonder if anyone's researched this. Is there a connection between thyroid and personality? And there is one study. <laughs> There's one study that Yeah, that was really more of a study actually around diabetes and whether there was a difference in personality type between type 1 diabetes being the autoimmune and type 2 being more lifestyle driven. And they actually used autoimmune thyroid patients, a mix of Graves and Hashi as the control group. And they found that there was a correlation between the type 1 diabetes and the autoimmune thyroid group were more type A driven or oriented than the type 2 diabetes, which were more type B interesting. personality. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of people talk about mm. kind of type A and de-stress and don't stress and manage your stress. And I think that has a time and place. Mm-hmm. I also think stress, the stress, the quote unquote stress hormone that people like to talk about, cortisol, is a motivating hormone. What's your take on it in terms of stress and what to do with it and how to quote unquote manage it. Yeah. Yeah. And look, I think that's why I like the term unwind more than stress management, Mm. because I think it's a bit more productive and a bit more positive. And definitely I have learned that my thyroid is very sensitive to stress. And so I have had to learn like (laughs) women with 
families and multiple juggling things, it gets stressful. But I think when we are that personality that wants to get things done, we, we want to change the world and help people and we want to achieve goals and we want to be productive. And I don't think we're given wrong personalities. I, I don't believe that. And so I think we need to be aware There's a, there can be an edge to that, but there can be an edge to any kind of personality trait, right? There's good and bad or strengths and weaknesses. So I think we can leverage that if we're aware that it can come at a cost. And so we do need to be aware, I think, that sometimes when we're in that zone, we will be try to be everything to everyone. We try to get everything done. We maybe give a bit recklessly without some good boundaries. We maybe don't set aside enough time for ourselves. And so we become frazzled and stressed and narky. And, and some of that goes along with hypothyroid too. You're a bit irritable and yeah. So you're a mom, right? Yeah. I'm a mom. How do you create a boundary, especially as it relates to, I personally need a lot of alone time. And I actually didn't realize that until I had kids. Yeah. Because you mentioned boundaries. How do you create boundaries out the guilt, the mom guilt, the narrative, the background of feeling bad? Because now that's just adding another layer of stress. Guilt. Yeah. Guilt. <laughs> yeah. I think, it, yeah. Yeah. The whole uh, more mom guilt. I think we, it's a reframing. It's part of that reframing because if we, the reality is if you do keep going and you probably can keep going like that for quite a long time, probably years and years really, but eventually you come crashing down and then you're no use to helping or doing anything. You're no good to anyone then. Yeah. That's, so that's the way I've tried to look at it is if I don't have some of that, and I'm probably a bit like you, I didn't realize how much I needed alone time until I got married. Like we hadn't lived together before we got married. And I'm like, oh, you're here like all the time. <laughs> oh, I, didn't realize. I love you. But, oh, you again. I didn't realize. And then when I had kids, it was like, whoa, wow. Okay. Once, once they all got to school, like my kids are teenagers, they're a bit older than yours, but that was enormously relieving for me was when they were at school. I was like, okay, now I've got during the day. And when my youngest one was two, I went back to work two days a week as a mediator. Like I used to be a family lawyer. Then I did some mediation to separate a family. So I went back two days a week as a mediator and I was like, oh my gosh, like, why did no one tell me that going to work was like a holiday? How oh, I just done was... a stressful job though. It was like family. Yeah, but it wasn't my problems. Yeah, it wasn't. True. Not my family, not my problems. I could just, I can deal with other people's conflict, no problem, as long as it's not directed to me. Yeah. Yes, it's stressful in the moment, but, and actually being a mediator was much, much less stressful than being a lawyer because, oh, anyway, that's a whole different conversation. But in terms of boundaries, and do you think understanding that we can't give from an empty cup. It's that whole, yeah. you want to be giving from an overflowing cup. And we all have different ways to fill our cup. Sometimes for us, maybe it is having that time alone. For other people, it's, it is being out and about with people and, or a combination of things. And we do need to set those boundaries or in the long term, something will give and probably give in a big way. For someone who's maybe newer in their diagnosis, and it can feel very overwhelming. Talk about mm -hmm. building your team, right? Mm -hmm. Building your support team. And yeah. I know in the States, at least, the big cities have a lot of the functional medicine doctors and they're accessible mm -hmm. and get to them easily. 
And then there's some parts of the states where I know women driving three hours to their slightly more progressive mm-hmm. endocrinologist that feels like they listen. How would someone, how would you recommend someone build a team? Who should they have? How do they find them? Especially uh, maybe in an area where it's not potentially super metropolitan. Yeah. I'm not saying yeah. that there's not metropolitan centers in Australia, because I know there are. That's <laughs> Yeah, but we do have big distances here too. So, and actually, and if I think about, so my mum lives in a town that's about four hours west of Sydney. So a long way from me. I'm in Brisbane. We're about 12 hours drive apart. Yes. And. Done that drive, by the way. uh Aha. The Sydney, Brisbane. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, it's a beautiful drive. We're going to do that. We're having Christmas in Sydney, actually. So we're going to do that drive. It's lovely all along the beaches. So I know from her, and she was diagnosed with Hashimoto's about two years ago. So I've seen her have to build her support team in a decent sized regional town. Like she's not in a tiny town. She's in a regional city, maybe 30,000 people, but she has ended up going to Sydney, a four hour drive away to see an integrative doctor for her thyroid. So I get the And sometimes it just is. Even in a big city, it can still take time to find someone that actually knows how to manage thyroid health well. But to answer your question more broadly, I do think it's a bit like with the lifestyle, it's never just one thing. I think a thyroid support team is never just one person either. Like we have, we're going to learn from different people at different points in our journey. Like when we're fairly new in, you want to get yourself around people whether it's in real life or in online groups that are going to give you hope and encouragement. And I know there are groups that are full of lots of misery and I understand that because when you're newly diagnosed and you've been putting up with feeling like crap for a long time, I get all of that. But I think early on you want to try to position yourself with people that are going to, that have got to the other side, a bit, a bit like you and I, we're having this conversation We've been through the ups and downs and in varying degrees of up or down currently, you know, but there's hope. And so you want to, A, I think if you're going to go online, which most people are, and they're going to find some sort of support group, look for one that has a positive vibe. Go and get yourself educated. Listen to podcasts like this. I've learned an enormous amount from other podcasts, reading books, doing courses. So you do need to get yourself educated, but it's balanced between being too don't get yourself overwhelmed. If you're starting to read lots of books and then you think, oh my gosh, this is all too much, pair it back. So it is this ebb and flow that you talked about before in all of this. So I think you can have that broader support from people that you might never meet, but you might listen to them, yeah, follow them on Instagram or TikTok. I don't know. Are you on TikTok? I am indeed. Oh my gosh, go you. I'm like, I figured I'm too old for TikTok, which I know is probably not true, but I'm not on TikTok. <laughs> So what are some, other than, of course, your book, Let's Talk Thyroid, what are some of the resources that you really loved? Maybe some that you discovered on your own journey, because I know you mentioned 30, but do you have some favorite resources that are accessible? Yeah. Yeah. I like one of the best books I read early on that's not thyroid specific, but it's called Grain Brain by Dr. David Perlmutter. He's a neurologist. Yeah. Yeah. Just about understanding the gut-brain connection and the impact of gluten and grains um, on the gut and on the brain. So I felt I recommend that all the time. I think that's really is, comes at it from a, a neurology, it's a very scientific perspective, but it's very readable. 
So I think that's a good one for really understanding why dietary changes probably are important. I'm a big fan of Dr. Detit's Karatsian. Yeah. And he's got courses that you can do. Some are, he's got one called Hashimoto's Solving the Puzzle and it's all online. And I think I've really learned a lot from him in understanding the complexity of Hashimoto's, but also working, understanding there are triggers and it is important to identify them. And it is a puzzle and there are different parts and it's going to take a while to solve it if we ever really solve it. But he's probably a bit more heady, but in terms of He's fairly, he's a researcher predominantly. Oh, so he's very academic. Very academic. That's the word. Yeah. yeah. But I've learned a lot from, yeah, there are probably some, Isabella Wentz is a great, has been yeah. a great resource over time. Yeah. Some real pioneers really in the, that was, have been at this thyroid holistic approach for a long time now. What have been some ups and downs? Because I think it's a very authentic and honest view into someone who has Hashimoto's. No, I've shared my own kryptonite in life of being, I feel like almost constantly exposed to mold, which is my down, but flip side, my up is I know how to manage it and not totally go into this like paralyzed comatose sympathetic state when I, when I do figure out what's going on. Can you share some of your own ups and downs? Because I think going back to this idea that Women think our healing journey is linear. I think mm-hmm. it's good for them to hear that it does ebb and flow. Yeah. Yeah. The, probably the recent ebb and flow for me was, so earlier in the year, about Easter, I got COVID and wasn't fun, but got through it. Not long after that, my husband had an injury and he snapped tenders in his foot, Ooh. needed surgery. Yeah. He's got connective tissue issues and he needed surgery. And so he was in a cast, immobile, in in a moon boot crutches to varying, obviously for a couple of months. At the end of the next sort of school holidays in June, and also around that time in May was when I launched my book. So there was a lot of kind of busyness and self-pressure in the lead up to launching the book and expectations around that what would be, I guess, my own internal expectations. June holidays, I got another virus. I don't usually ever get sick. I think got another kind of bad cold, hurt my back and my my back just went into a spasm that sort of wiped me out quite immobile for about a week. And it's been a long, slow journey back around that time that my back really was really bad. I was due for another thyroid, my, my regular thyroid panel. And so it just so happened, like I was mobile enough to go out and have the test, but then my doctor's ringing me. He's like, oh my gosh, Annabelle, what's happened? Your, your T4 and T3 are okay, but your TSH has gone up to 14. Like from, you know, I'm never super low, like probably around four, up to 14 in one kind of three month period. He's like, oh my gosh, what have you done? And I'm like, I can see, and it's come back down to four. Like I had it six weeks, done, done a couple of weeks ago. So I know I have learned. So for me, those sort of stress, <laughs> the high intensity, it could have been, just the inflammation of the back. But also if I look at the four or five months in the lead up, there was just a lot of little things, none of which were catastrophic. Obviously my husband having surgery was negative. He wasn't, his life wasn't threatened. So I've realized it is those things that I think, come on, Annabelle, you should be able to cope with that. My system just struggles more with than my head does. 
And so it's okay. All right. This is because the time before that, like I was fully in remission first time, everything on my blood tests were all completely like all my antibodies were below the normal range. I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, taken 25 years. And then the next is like down again. Oh, okay. All right. And I'm clawing back up again. So it is totally an up and down. And so that's what this, this year's lesson has been is that those sort of little things accumulate and some of those, that's just life, isn't it? Some of those things life just throws at you. I've got to say, I'm a big fan for testing regularly. Because I'm like, okay, things are a bit out of whack. All right, let's kind of fine tune again. But if I was only getting tested every six to 12 months or every couple of years, you just don't know. How often would you recommend Mm. women get their labs drawn? I like every four months. I know they say maybe four to six if everything's been stable for a while. Yeah. I don't, I personally don't. Maybe because my thyroid health goes up and down frequently. <laughs> and so I, for the last probably four or five years, at least I've oh, probably even longer than that. Cause about eight years ago, I got brain lesion and that, that was very stressful. Thought I, that was like a, a bit like having MS, but it was just one single episode of demyelination. And, and then from there, I, you know, I did a few silly things like I saw a different doctors than my normal one, went on duramine, which is essentially speed. If you want to lose weight, don't go on duramine completely fries your thyroid. It did for me. So I think really since then, which is about eight years ago, like I really have monitored probably four monthly. Yeah. Did you feel like over the last year, there was any signs of adrenal insufficiency? Because like all these like kind of little Mm -hmm. stressors, they might feel low grade or maybe in our mind, because I do the same. I'm like, I'm fine. I'm like resilient enough to handle this. And then I'll go get a massage and I'm like, why am I crying <laughs> sometimes? And I'm like, oh, hello. There's stress in the background. Yeah. Were there any signs of like physical signs of maybe like adrenal insufficiency or anything like that? Mm, like I was teary all the time. And that's not like me. I'm not really a teary, really emotional kind of person, but and just fatigued and it was all along with this obviously thyroid bit funny but I was like oh something else something's not right here and I went to see my naturopath who does a whole lot of NET and kinesiology and that kind of stuff and she's oh my gosh Annabelle your parasympathetic nervous system is completely shut off which oh that probably explains why I can't I felt on edge and really emotional and not like me. She worked her magic and and that really helped. I saw her again this week, actually. She's your adrenals. She's still, still out a bit. Use some of your essential oils that are adrenal supporting. So I'm like, yeah, okay, all right. As often in retrospect, I look back and I think, oh yeah, that all makes sense. Yeah, I was, I was crying all the time or I was this. But in the moment, I don't always pick it up. Can you tell mm. us a little bit about your book? Let's talk that right. Yeah, so I've written a book called Let's Talk Thyroid that is really written for the person fairly new in their thyroid journey. Or I'd say new to the idea that there's anything else you can do apart from taking medication. Because for some people, they might have been on medication only for 20 years and never known there's other things. But it's really all about the diet and lifestyle factors that we've just touched on today that we can do as well as take medication if we need it. I just wanted to make it positive, practical, give people hope and some practical things that they can do. A bit like a book you could dip in and out of if you want, if you wanted. 
to, you don't have to work on everything all at once, but it's the broad pillars are there as a bit of a, re- a resource. So that's who I had in mind when I was writing the book was like, who's someone who just wants that overview needs, it's not a, de- I'm not a science, I'm not a scientist. I'm not medically qualified. So it's not a deep science book. If you want that, that's, this is not, this is the practical. This is the bringing out the life coach in me. This is the, how do you actually do it? So that's, that's what my book is. I love it. And where Mm. can people find you? People can find me. I'm on basically on Facebook and Instagram, annabelle.bateman.wellness. And my website is annabellebateman.com. So A-N-N-A-B-E-L not double L-E, just E-L, <laughs> Bateman.com. And yeah, that's where you'll find me. If you want the book, it's on Amazon. So you can go to Amazon, just type in Let's Talk Thyroid. You'll find it. I do have a podcast also called Let's Talk Thyroid to keep it simple. <laughs> yeah. Annabelle, thank you so much for sharing your journey and your insight into healing with Hashimoto's. It was so great to have you on. Thank you, Emily. I always love having a chat and look forward to getting you back in my ear with Thyroid Strong too. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. yeah.